Hey, welcome back to Security and Compliance Weekly. I'm your host, Jeff Mann, along with Scott Lyons, Josh Marpet, and Matt Alderman. We're going to spend a few minutes now talking about news of the week in the security and compliance world. But first, have a couple more announcements to share. First, uh, please register for one of our upcoming webcasts with Bryce Schroeder and Barbara Kay of ServiceNow, or Kevin O'Brien of Greathorn, or Steve Laubenstein, I feel like Paul now mispronouncing names, of Core Security, or all three of them. Go to securityweekly.com and then click the webcast dropdown and select registration. Oh, also, if you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts, you can find our on-demand library by selecting on-demand from the webcast dropdown. If you attend any of our webcasts, you will receive one CPE credit per webcast because we endorse that type of thing. Second announcement, Paul is going to be providing his insights and predictions in the information and cybersecurity space at the local ISC Squared Rhode Island chapter meeting on Monday, November 18th at Greg's Restaurant in Providence. So if you're in Rhode Island, you know where Providence is. And if you're in Providence, you can find Greg's Restaurant. If you'd like to join them, go to securityweekly.com forward slash ISC2RI. And I only read it at ISC2, gentlemen, because it's a URL, okay? Thank you. All right, anyway, that's it for the announcements. Security and Compliance News of the Week. Uh, Josh, any of these articles jump out to you that you want to start with? Well, I mean, I love the fact that payment security compliance declines. You know, I mean, Jeff, (laughs) that's all your fault, of course. I mean, you are the PCI guy. It is, and it's because I'm not an assessor anymore. Because you're not an assessor anymore. (laughs) I'm not in the trenches anymore. I heard that. He wants to be a QSA again. (laughs) You held all the payment security to task, and it was all you for the entire, what, last... 10 years or something. 15. I mean, not that that's arrogant in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 what do I know? You know, there's a, there's but, a different um, uh, there's a different fox watching the hen house right now. That's all I can say. So here's the question I have on this story, right? Mm-hmm. Well, before, just to qualify for those following along at home, this is uh, my story number one, which is entitled Payment Security Compliance Declines. One in three companies make the grade. Go, Matt. All right. So so what? Now what? Right? I, 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 I look at the headline and I'm like, okay, one in three. So does that mean five, more, more companies are being fine because they're not following PCI DSS? Does it mean we're having more credit card breaches? I, I mean, where's the where, where's the there there, right? I'm trying to figure out, and, and I, I go through this thing and I'm like, I don't see the impact. Maybe somebody's paying more fines, but I, I can't really find the metric that says, oh my gosh, the, the sky's falling. Yeah, well, that's a good question because I think the heart of the article is talking about the latest Verizon, you know, PCI breach report that they've published. So there's always a certain amount of skepticism that I have in these articles because they're sort of it's not really a news event. It's it's more of a news release or press release. Um, but 
yeah, there's 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 a lot that could be made out of the statistics or lack thereof in terms of compliance. I used to, uh, when I was doing presentations about PCI specifically during my times at a software vendor recently, um, I, I I had found at some point Visa used to publish a a list of how many of their merchants were meeting Visa. PCI compliance, you know, visa merchants based on the, the four merchant levels. And uh, the last, they stopped, they, they used to update it about every six months. And from what I can tell, they, they either stopped doing it or they stopped doing it and putting it out on the public internet where you can find it. But I always thought it was interesting because, you know, level one merchants in round numbers, less than a thousand merchants in the US. Level two, I think the numbers approaching something like four or five thousand level three which uh is smaller than level one and level two but almost exclusively level three is reserved for e-commerce merchants and the numbers like 10 or 15 million and the, uh, i'm sorry thousands i've been saying millions thousands 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 you get to the level four little guy merchants and the number blows up to millions and that's where the the statistics overall can, can get very skewed because uh you know, all all of the card brands struggle with the little guys. The the PCI Council struggles with how do we help the little guys, because the whole program is predicated on how do we uh, protect against the large guys, where the bad guys going to break in, establish foothold, exfiltrate all the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of credit card transactions all at once. And yet they're they're all struggling because the paradigm is shifting in terms of how attackers attack merchants these days. There's a lot more skimming that's that's been happening where harvesting of data just occurs slowly over time amongst all those, guess what, small merchants. So yeah, I could go on and on, obviously, but the the problem is uh it's hard to it's hard to derive any meaningful statistics and does it matter because and and i guess matt to put it back to you is the only thing that matters uh the fact that a company gets uh fined in some in some manner has to spend mother well yeah i, I mean so here what, what does bad look like <laughs> yeah, if, if i'm reading this article right and i'm a and i'm a let's, let's say i'm a level four merchant why do I care? There's nothing in here that, that tells me that uh, I'm going to have to pay a certain amount of fine or what am I going to have to pay for this brand new Verizon framework to get me compliant, right? This goes back to a risk discussion. And, and the right. question that every small merchant's going to ask themselves, and they are, by the way, is how much is it going to cost me to comply versus how much is it going to cost me in fines and what is the right balance for me as an organization, right? Well, this is that an old is question. The, it, it, I agree uh, I mean, with you, but but I read an article like this that's trying to hawk a framework without any value to the buyer of the framework. There's no value here. There's there's no substantial numbers in here that justifies why I should pick up the phone, call Verizon, and say, "Give me your new framework." Oh my God, the sky's falling. Matt, Matt, are you are you telling me that that vendors sell frameworks on fear, uncertainty, and doubt? Oh my God! This is this is so unusual and new. We should we should tell people about this. Oh my God! Oh, I the mean, sky on, is man. falling, and now we're doing it. But but these are why well, these articles are important because there's no substance in that article to me that really justifies me 
as somebody who potentially has to be cardholder compliant in some form or fashion to take any action. It's a complete waste of an article, actually. <laughs> it is and it isn't. I, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was just chuckling because at the very beginning of the article, it talks, the statement is when Visa Incorporated initially launched the PCI DSS in 2004, like they were the only ones involved. What really happened in 2004 was Visa, which already had a payment security program, uh, called agreed, the cardhold called the cardholder information security program. Sis, kiss, yep. yeah, sis. However you pronounce Kisp. it, yeah, right. right. It's is it GIF or JIF? Is it CISP or KISP? Uh, MasterCard had its own program. Amex had its own program. And they all had separate requirement standards that all the merchants had to follow. All that happened in 2004 was that they all got together and agreed on a, accepting a single standard, which became and, and is the PCI data security standard. So yep. it's not just yeah. Visa. Oh, well, let's move on. Enough of this piece. Yeah. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Before we move on. Hold on. Hold on. I, it's not me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Got to look at the other side of the coin again. Like, you know, we're all one sided about, oh, well, this article's bad or this article's numbers are off. Right. Could. And I'm going to throw this out there for discussion. Could it be a resultant that the the requirements have become more stringent? Now than when we first started, because, you know, we're, we're finally starting to hone in on what is actually data protection that businesses are struggling to keep up with. Or no, even can identify no, the, the, that they the, fall under those requirements. Specifically within PCI, the, the requirements haven't changed as much as the technology has changed. And how do you meet this particular requirement using a new technology, which you bought? Jeff, your Wi-Fi, Jeff, or something. You're you're breaking up a little bit there, buddy. But yeah. but to his point, right? Technology's changing. The requirements haven't changed that much in the past 15 years. Some updates around SSL and TLS, etc. But is it harder? I, maybe I don't know. This stuff's been around for a long time. It should, you know, I don't I don't know that it's gotten any harder, Scott. We're used to it. Here's the thing, Matt. We're used to it. We're used to these requirements incrementally changing. But for a new business or a business that hasn't looked at this in a while, this is like, uh -huh. oh my God, there's so much stuff to do. So like to the them, it's what are my what are my what are my choices? Am I going to be fined a thousand dollars a year? Because I don't care at that point. That's the cost of doing business. Am That's I going to be said. found uh, fined a thousand dollars a minute? Because that matters. That's a lot of money. Right. Uh, it's it, it's going to be a significant weighing of your options, your trade-offs. And that's going to determine the, the the amount of compliance that you see. Let's be honest. And then you take it one step further and you say, well, what is the appropriate place for cybersecurity inside of an organization, which actually falls into article number three, uh, labeled why CFOs must be involved in cybersecurity? You know, we say we say that the that the 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 topic of the article is is oh oh dear God, right? Should CFOs, right? And and I'm picking on CFOs uh, uh, specifically here. Should CFOs be involved in owning or in cybersecurity as a, as a whole? So my my 
my question is simply this. Uh, in the early days of the internet and internet security, what we now call cybersecurity, when I got out into the private sector 22, three years ago, most of the organizations that were that were becoming my customers back then, uh, you know, they didn't have all this, they didn't have a CISO or CISO, they didn't have an organizational structure that even had a security department and all the variations that we talk uh, about, you know, as being so essential today. Uh, and very often, the what at least the reason we were hired was probably because of internal audit and they may or may not have called themselves a compliance group yet, but those groups certainly rolled up to the CFO. So I guess what was shocking to me about this article is somebody saying that this is something that doesn't inherently happen in an organization where at least it, in the early days it used to always fall under the CFO. So my question is more, when did it stop doing that? Is it is it related to our earlier discussions, security versus compliance? And we never did really talk about, you know, where do they fit in the in you know a management org structure. But I'm wondering if you know CFOs are to compliance, what CIOs are to security or IT by extension. I'll shut up. Exactly. Now. Somebody reverse else that, reverse that. Reverse that because CFOs are almost more important to security than the CIO is, and there's one reason and one reason only, and that's budget. Uh, there have been studies done about uh, budget, and companies that budget properly for security are almost inherently more secure than companies that don't. And you're like, well, duh, but that's your CFO. If you can convince your CFO to give you the budget, you can secure your company better. So it's almost as if uh, the CFO is as to security as the CIO is to compliance, somebody that's outside the realm of but is incredibly important to the successful completion of the mission. Well, Josh, and, when it comes to being a CFO, what is a CFO's primary duty besides besides funding, right? That, that's easy. Chief financial officer, money. I get it. What's their primary mm -hmm. duty when it comes to money? Financial responsibility. And? Making sure the budget is spent wisely. Fiduciary responsibility. Right. Fiduciary shareholders. Risk. risk. Yeah. It it's all risk. comes back to risk. I'm telling and you, risk, that's, that's and risk and risk in that sense is the risk. I mean, that's is, the yeah. risk is irresponsible spending. It's business risk. It's financial risk, mm -hmm. and and security doesn't really exist as a separate risk. It's all a function of that other risk, which is business or, or financial risk. Correct. The the line in here of the risk of not including CFO in the cybersecurity process is is not really true. It's more of the risk of not including CFO in the cyber risk process or the risk process in general, cybersecurity just being one of those risk factors that the CFO needs to have their arms around. What he said, that was perfect. That was perfect. It's, it's, it's proper responsible spending includes uh, adjusting for all of the risks, operational, financial, reputational, uh, technological, and a proper CFO is understanding of all of those risks, at least at a level that they need to, to understand how to balance and allocate the budget properly. Uh, without the understanding of those risks, including the technologic, operational, business, call it what you will, they cannot allocate budget properly, and all the security people that whine because they didn't get the budget they needed I'm sorry, you didn't explain the risk well enough, or the risk wasn't there in conjunction or or against the other risks that the organization faces. It's literally that simple. Right. And so, when you have a CFO that's addressing risk from a financial 
standpoint, uh, you more oftentimes than not, if you're in communication with, with your executives about the risk, you develop a robust security program, right? And that actually ties into article number two, right? Uh, robust security foils cyber attack on Labor Party. Uh, who says we never report on good news? But then again, it was it was just a DDoS. <laughs> just, just, just a DDoS. I handled but it was a Tuesday. But it Come wasn't on. a DD. It wasn't a DDoC. <laughs> no, it ah, wasn't. The distributed denial of compliance. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the better tie-in is to my first article talking about some of the challenges on the banking side. Again, we we talked about this last segment, right? The banking mm -hmm. guys pretty mature, have been doing a lot around the regulatory for, for a long time because of Graham Leach Bliley. But now what you're seeing is they're struggling. They've got challenges of their own. Even though they're mature, the way technology is changing, even though they've got buy-in from the CFO, they're getting budgets. So look, even the most mature of these organizations are, are running into some, some interesting challenges. So I thought this article was interesting because it, it goes back to our last conversation. If you start to dig into some of these key challenges, fragmented data across compliance functions and lines of business. Are we just talking about that? Kind of the separation, but they need to work together. Now we've got yep. fragmented data all over the place. Uh, lack of an enterprise-wide single customer view, again, because we're siloing data and, and these different views of customers. High volume of false positive alerts in anti-money laundering and fraud. Uh, manual intensive processes for know your customer activities, legacy systems incapable, uh, incapable of combining structured and unstructured data. I mean, just think about that for a second. These, these are the banks that have been blazing the trail of how other organizations address compliance and security, but yet they're struggling because they still haven't broken down some of these barriers and silos. Well, was, it, was it Bank of America that said, uh, or J.P. Morgan, I can't remember, that said, we're going to spend $250 million on security this year, and that was a few years ago. And uh, they brought in some amazing people. They did some insanely good stuff, and they really upped their security. I think it was J.P. after they had that breach, and they were like, no, no, this is not happening again. This is not cool. And they spent a god-awful amount of money, and they did some very cool things with their security. And they realized that to, to address this risk, this is amazing. The, one of the things they found was that the data is so difficult to understand. Where does it live? Who needs access? Uh, these are classic questions, but today with all of the applications, third parties, differing ways that it's used, that's a lot harder question to answer than it ever used to be. So, yeah, so what's, what's screaming out to me uh, in your comments and in Matt's comments and this, this sort of prioritized list in the article of what they're struggling with, uh, what's screaming out to me is that these very mature organizations, mature security organizations, maybe weren't as mature as they or we think that they are, or – you know, to put it in the form of a question, what does it mean to be a, a mature security organization if if a company that's mature is is you know every almost every one of these items is, is you know implies that there's systematic fundamental process types of breakdowns that either you know didn't scale, didn't move forward or weren't ever there in the first place. I mean that's what I'm reading into this. So yeah. what is a what is a mature security organization? One that spends 250 million dollars a year and buys every every blinky light box on the market? 
No. So, we Josh, you and I got we you and I got on this uh rant last week when Jeff was out a little bit about this disconnect from kind of the GRC top down and the security bottom up and this is yep. this kind of piece that's missing in the middle, right? Yep. And I think that's where the big gap in the maturity cycle still is, right? So you've got these disconnected compliance teams sitting up here doing policy procedure controls, but they can't they can't consume the security data. They don't have a single kind of view into the world. You got a bunch of money being spent down here on security and lots of blinky lights and lots of numbers, but nobody knows how it ties back to their overall compliance program. It's it's that intersection in the middle where I think the, the next level of maturity needs to happen in the space where compliance and security and the different teams, their data is coming together and supporting each other and not completely separated and disjointed. And I think that's the big challenge right now. And the banks are the ones that are facing this because they're the ones that have spent the millions and millions of dollars on GRC tools on top of the hundreds of millions on security tools, but yet they still don't talk together. And not only that, but they're also realizing, like we said, that the data is so difficult to control, to manage, to even understand that that, that in your article, which is a great article, by the way, really, really well done article. I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. But one of the things they said was that they're moving from rule-based compliance to risk-based compliance, reg tech, okay, regulatory technologies. So as they're moving from rule-based to risk-based, they're, they're realizing that the data they have to analyze and the amount of analysis they have to put into it, it, it wouldn't have been possible before the days of AIML. And now that we have AIML, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, it's still massively difficult because we have to make sure that the data is clean before we even take a look at it. We have to make sure the data is being accessed properly. We have to make sure that the data is there in the first place. It's 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 an insanely hard challenge. I, I We could spend hours on this. This is such a fun topic. Well, talking and, about and, data and data classification and governance. I will shut up, I promise. Well, right. no, but I mean, I, but what, I, I, I think... I think to, to help boil down what, what you all are saying is not so much are we a mature organization that has a robust security program, but where do we start, right? What is the single point that we start at to get on the road to being a robust, mature program? Well, define mature. Well, you know, and there is no starting point because the wheel's already in motion. I mean, you know, these are already companies that are in existence, and and now more than ever, they've you know deployed all sorts of technology. They've got so much uh, uh, dependence on this thing that we call the cloud, the internet. Uh, so it, it's it, it's a where where do you start while we're in the middle of all those things? It's it's where do you pick up which. Uh, I used to preach that back in the early days, you know, trying to convince companies why they needed to think about security if they were going to plug into the Internet. And I think I could dust off that presentation and it would probably still stand today with very little change. You know, first thing is fi figure out where you are in, in what I used to call the security life cycle. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it's... I hate using sports analogies because not everybody's into sports, but if you're on a football team and uh, you're playing defense and the running back or the receiver is running down the field you know, in the opposite direction, you need, as a defender, if you're going to tackle the guy, pick a point in time that's way down the field because <laughs> if, you, if you go right after the guy, by the time you get to where he was, he's going to be down the field, if that makes sense. It's a visual, and I don't have a, a whiteboard. They do it in hockey, or, too. Or, or same thing in hockey. 
soccer. Or, or, or you can start with how people come into an organization, right? Through the use of the most antiquated method that we have in dealing with computers, and that is passwords and password <laughs> reuse. Like, let's be honest, it's a problem, right? Article number four is saying that password reuse is a t ticking time bomb, right? So the just, the just of it is uh, stop looking at password management as a compliance task and start looking at it as a layer of protection. Thoughts? Okay. It's, it's passwords are dead. Next. This is a solo <laughs> tool. It's an open source tool that I got given to me at a conference, which is a FIDO compliant uh, uh, physical token. Google handed out physical tokens and uh, everybody should be using physical tokens. I have on my keychain, literally on my bloody keychain, I have a USB-C YubiKey. I have this, which I've been playing with, the solo tool thing. Uh, very kudos to open source uh, physical token. Really cool for them. Thank you. Well done, guys. Uh, I've got another USB that's uh, got certificates on it for whatever else I need. And I've got a backup in a safety deposit box. If you don't have a physical token, go get it. Uh, Google will sell you a set for 50 bucks, I think it is, the Titans. And you get one that's Bluetooth. Come on, it, it can't get easier. Okay? For whatever All reason, right, they just, won't just sell stop, me one. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> do you remember? Stop. Do you remember the day back when, when uh, uh, the regulators required two-factor authentication for for the banking sites, and mm -hmm. everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, everybody has to have a token. This is awesome for all the token business people." Yeah, it didn't quite pan out that way. Um, nope. there, there's other authenticators, right? Hardware, yeah. but there's other authenticator tokens. Two-factor, you know, is beyond, you know, a, a level above password. It's still a pain in the butt, but it's more secure. I get it. You know, look, I'd love to so, get rid of this stupid thing called a password, but you know, this this one's going to haunt us for a while. Well, the the yeah, crux of the article is passwords aren't going away anytime soon. They they never have, and they probably never will. A serious question, though. Uh, uh, if you have a physical token, Josh, does that alleviate your need for two-factor authentication? No, this is two-factor authentication. Am I misunderstanding your question? Well, what are the primers no. of two-factor? Well, you, you held that up and said you don't need a password, you just need this. So that my assumption was that replaces the password. You're saying that, that, su that supplements the password. It can, but real realistically, you shouldn't use any... Uh, Okay, so multiple factor of authentication, uh, <laughs> something you know, something you have, something you are. Uh, obviously, now, it's going to be really peeve, tough to do a hair That's two-factor authentication. <laughs> There's no such thing as multi-factor authentication. Return to your regularly scheduled comment. <laughs> You're wrong, but it's okay. Yeah, You're allowed I'm to be wrong. wrong. I'm not wrong. You're wrong. But, ding, ding, um, ding. Here we go. And fight. <laughs> look, look, look. When Jeff was You're talking good. about preaching... All I could think of was Jeff with a, a hat on and a Bible, you know, the PCI manual, going, "Ye shall be compliant." And I, I just the you forgot the scepter in the, uh, in the other hand. Wait, he's got it. He's got it. there. He's got it. He's got it. Yep, he's got it. <laughs> Thou shalt submit. <laughs> this is prior to PCI. This is the Visa program. So there was it really. Yep. Okay. So when was that? A, when Look was how that thick from? it is. Uh, wow. I'm going to say this is 2005. Late 90s. Jeff, it literally, if you throw that thing at somebody, it's going to be the equivalent of throwing the holy hand grenade of Antioch. I just, <laughs> I, I sleep with it under my pillow. <laughs> oh, you guys.
Can we talk the under the pillow part? Anyway, All right, so, so we, um, we got to talk a little privacy. Can we talk a little privacy and and wrap this thing? What? Yeah, oh, we, yeah. we can wrap this up with a private discussion. Go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, privacy, privacy discussion. Privacy. You want to talk about the online privacy act? Because I really well, no, want to talk about that one real quick. Yeah, I do. Second, the first one I want to talk about. We talked about CCPA last week, and whether whether you are or are not required. Uh, Fox Rothschild LLP put out a little tool that can help companies figure out whether they are in scope for CCPA or not. I thought it was just a great resource. It's the CCPA Scope Advisor by Fox Rothschild Attorneys at Law. Um, you, I guess you answer some questions that will tell you whether you're in scope or not. So I thought that was a great tool to help people because, as we talked about last week, it's a little confusing with all the different uh, kind of requirements. I do want to talk OPA now because I thought this was a very interesting article. Not that it has any chance in hell of passing Congress, but I thought it was an interesting uh, concept. Summarize so, Please. So you're talking oh. about the OPA, the Online Privacy Act? Because yeah, the Online yes, Privacy Act, yeah. It's interesting. They, they're creating an entire new federal enforcement agency. I think that's crazy. Uh, we've got so many different... Uh, that's what I thought when they formed the Department of Homeland Security nearly 20 years yeah. ago. I mean, this would be and an independent... Your independent agency no. <laughs> would be funded for up to 1,600 employees and can, could impose damages up to the same maximum amount as the FTCs, which is $42,530 per incident. Um, I don't think we need another federal bureaucracy. Like I said, I'm not sure this has a chance of getting through. This is started in the House. Um, I'm not sure it gets through the Senate and or uh, the executive branch as it currently stands. But um, it was just a very interesting concept of uh, of, of a federal agency for online privacy. So Matt, obviously you're anti-American because you're turning 1,600 Americans away from getting a job. I mean, I just, I, I, it's hard <laughs> to believe about you, man, but okay, whatever. So uh, <laughs> I just I don't want my taxes to go up to have to pay for another 1,600. Not, not to mention eight. the guy that wrote this article that's not going to have anything to write about. So 1,601 yeah, but I, I think, Matt, I think you're right. Uh, why wouldn't the FTC do this? They're the Federal Trade Commission. They're the ones that regulate trade. Information is an asset. Data is an asset. Uh, it, it can be traded, sold, bought, uh, used, uh, processed, collected. Uh, it's an asset. So, And it's traded. Why wouldn't the FTC be over that? Uh, am I wrong? It's, or way it's, the only, it's the only asset that <laughs> does it. Yeah, I, I don't understand why... Why do I need another agency to do this? Just give the jurisdiction to an existing agency and let them done. Well, for any veterans, my personal belief is that the VA should be abolished because why do we have another? You know, we've got hospitals. Give them a fantastic healthcare plan that works at the hospital next door, not the one downstate. You know, and, and so uh, same idea. Let's create another federal agency because we can. I, don't even get me well, started. Or we can just use the data that's been collected from Project Nightingale. You know, uh, Google was recently and I'll make sure to put the article up. Google was recently uh, uh, highlighted for gathering personal health data of millions of Americans. You know, is this it, should this be allowed? Yeah. Uh, yeah so that article. all, all these are great questions, but alas, our time has come to an end. We could go on and on, and, but that's what makes doing this show fun. Hey, thanks, guys, uh, for two great segments today. Let's do it again next week. Until then, 
Everybody work on building bridges. And uh, if you're in security, go find somebody in compliance and give them a hug. And if you're in compliance, go find those security people and tell them thanks. Thanks for being on watch. Till next time, guys, over and out.